Well, happy Easter. It is so great to be with you. Welcome to Abundant Life Church. Uh, To those of you who are with me here or if you are watching or listening online or through a podcast, we are so glad that you are a part of this experience with us. We are a church about giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. My name is Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here. And we have put so much planning, so much praying, so much preparing. Uh, Just so thrilled that you are here with us today. And, uh, And if you're here and you got dragged here, and you know who you are, and you're like, look, I don't know how long this is gonna be, I don't know what I'm in for. Let me just give you a little bit of what to expect. Uh, So I had a conversation with my daughter the other day, she's seven, and uh, she was not feeling really great one morning, and so we said, hey, why don't you sit with us in church um, instead of going to children's ministry? She loves children's ministry, but she wasn't feeling good, so she sat with us, experienced the service with us a couple weeks ago. That night I was laying her down, and I said, Adeline, I I had such a great time sitting in church with you today. And she looked at me, and she's kind of a daddy's girl a little bit. She just had this sweet look, and without skipping a beat, she goes, well, I was asleep most of the time. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, and I said, well, um, was, I, was I boring, you know? And <laughs> without skipping a beat, no, I enjoyed my nap. <laughs> oh. And then uh, she said, it's a place where you can fall asleep easily. And then finally, uh, can you not yell so much next time? I said, okay, sure. Uh, So here's the deal. I don't know uh, why you're here, but if you're a little tired and you need a nap, evidently this is a great place to take care of that. So you're welcome to to do that. But we are so glad that you're here. I wanna invite you, if you would, get your journal out. If you were handed a journal and you took it and you don't know what you just took, uh, what this is is a series journal. Uh, We wanna encourage you to use this. Uh, This begins today. And so you'll see uh, week one, you can take notes. Week two, week three uh, for the next weeks. We wanna encourage you to come back experience this series with us. This is a tool for you to write down things that I say, things that God is saying to you, things that you're like, hey, what about this or what about that or things you just make a list of things you disagree with. I don't care what you use it for, uh, but have this as a tool for you. We wanna put this in your hand and, and encourage you to, to experience God throughout the week on your own and, and use this as a tool to help you do that. Now, if you got, came in with your Bible today, we are going to be in John chapter 20. You've got a physical analog Bible with you. That's awesome. There's two parts of it. You have the Old Testament, then you have the New Testament. Four books into the New Testament, you're gonna find the book of John. I wanna encourage you to get there. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, You can also use a Bible app if you wanna get a phone out and it's okay in church to to read the Bible on your phone if you wanna do that. Uh, You can get great versions for free uh, or you can just listen in. Uh, But we love uh, to read this together each week. So that's what we're gonna be in just a moment. Now we're beginning this series today called Rumors or Reality because I think this is the challenge for each and every one of us. We go through life and you experience something and you're trying to figure out, is that real or not? And when someone tells you something, you're a little bit skeptical at first because you're trying to discern for yourself, is that real or not? And technology has made this even harder. You might see something that looks real, but you're going, I don't know, is this real or, or am I looking at something uh, different? Now, a great example of this is an Instagram account that goes by the name of Kirby Jenner. Now, Kirby claims to be the twin brother of Kendall Jenner of the Kardashian family. And so if you know that whole family, uh, you probably know they don't have a twin brother named Kirby, but Kirby has an account where he posts photos of him and Kendall and the rest of the family and just you know doing things that they do. Now here's what's amazing. This is a real account, but this guy photoshops himself into their photos. 
and he does an amazing job of this. And so let me show you a photo of Kirby and his twin, Kendall. This is the two of them. So Kendall will post this, and a little bit later, Kirby will post his version with him in it. And again, this is amazing Photoshop skills that he does this. And, and sometimes he'll like figure out what kind of things is she posting. So not too long ago, she posted a photo of her with her dog. And so Kirby posted this photo. Now, to be fair, her dog does look like a rat. Uh, but he actually is holding a rat. And so that just makes it, you know, next level. But again, just adds himself into this. And, and he goes to great lengths to, to make sure he fits into the photo. Well, like this one is one of my personal favorites. And I gotta ask, how much time does he spend taking the photo, buying the outfits, you know, then photoshopping himself in and making it look so convincing? But here's what's amazing. Doing this, he has over one million Instagram followers. And I'm one of them, because I think it's amazing. I love this. But you look at it and you go, "How? I, I'm confused, that's not even a real thing. And yet there's so many people that love what he's doing. Now there's not a lot riding on the line when it comes to, is Kirby really in these photos? It doesn't really matter if you think yes or no. But here's what does matter, is when you apply the same questioning to God, and you go, is God a rumor or is God reality? And the question for us today, in particular to the resurrection, would be worded like this. Is Jesus really alive? Now, I want to spend a moment because some of you, you're going, of course he is, pastor, that's why I'm here. But some of you, if you're honest, you're like, yeah, I want to know too. And maybe you don't know. Maybe you are asking this question. And so for you, the question might even be a little bit different. Let me word it like this. Are Christians the only ones who think this, or did it actually happen? Like, is this one of those things that, that if you're a Christian, then you say, yeah, Jesus rose again, I have to say that. Or do we say, look, it doesn't matter whether or not you follow him, what really matters is it's actually happened, and we all have to figure out a response to it. See, is this one of those things where the rest of the world looks at Christians and goes, oh, how cute. You guys think Jesus is still alive. That's adorable. Or, or are we going, no, it, it actually happened. Like, you can choose your own response to it, but, but it actually Happen. How do we know? How do we process through this? There is so much writing on our answer to this. Now let me explain the way that one of the biblical writers, a guy named Paul, we know him as the Apostle Paul, how he framed this as he was writing a letter to the church in Corinth. Paul said it like this. And if Christ has not been raised, if there is no resurrection, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. In case you missed the point, he goes on in verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Happy Easter, everyone. <laughs> You're like, wow, that's, that's kind of a downer, Pastor. Like, this is not what I came to talk about at Easter. But notice Paul's argument. If this didn't really happen, our preaching's useless, your faith is useless, we are most to be pitied. It's not a, well, that's just noble that they believe in Jesus. No, it's a joke. If the resurrection didn't happen, all of this is a joke. There is so much writing on it. And if the resurrection didn't happen, Christianity is a flawed design. 
The entire thing is built on a lie if the resurrection didn't happen. All of our preaching, all of the, what we think of as the church, when we gather together, all of our faith, all of it has no value if the resurrection didn't happen. So is it a flawed design? Now, you know flawed designs when you see something and you go, I don't, I don't think they thought that through. And, and I, I see this often where I'm going, what? Was there some meeting that they had and they all approved this and nobody said, hey, hold on a second, this doesn't work. For example, recently I saw this shirt for sale. Girl power. I'll give you a second to get it. Um, there's a different number of letters in the word girl and the word power. Unless you're the six-fingered man. My name is Inigo Montoya. Like, I don't know what's gonna happen to you, but like, this shirt's not gonna work. You don't have that many fingers on your hand. I'm all for girl power, but I'm for realistic human hands. You know, I don't think we should add fingers. But that had to go through some meaning and everyone went, yeah, that's a great design. Let's, let's make a shirt of that. And, and I'm sure like, you know, someone's back's going, um, did you count the fingers? I, I don't know. Uh, how about this shirt? The no iron shirt. I believe you, that shirt has not been ironed at all. Now again, I see this and I'm like, okay, um, either let's take that part down or how about we like steam it, you know, before we, we put it up like this. No one's gonna buy the no iron shirt that looks like it was run over by a tractor. Like you have to, that's a flawed design. Or, or my favorite, anti-animal cruelty club. Yes, let's be about something. I'm gonna wear a hoodie that says what I'm about and I'm against animal cruelty. I'm passionate about it. Let's go tell the world. That seems very noble. And then when it gets hot, you just put your hood down and it becomes this. <laughs> Maybe it just depends what mood you're in. I don't know. You know. Like animals, hate animals. Like animals, hate animals. I don't, you know, just like did nobody tell these guys, hey, time out. This is a bad design. And some of you, that's what you're thinking about Christians. Did nobody tell you this isn't real? Did nobody tell you this didn't actually happen? Why are you doing all of this? And so when we process the resurrection, we think of, is this a rumor or is this reality? Here's what's on the line for us. If the resurrection of Jesus never happened, Christianity has no value. None of this matters. None of your faith, none of your story, none of your thoughts about Jesus, none of it matters if Christianity has no value. We are all wasting our time gathering here today. Now, in case that's a little bit offensive to you, this is my paraphrase of Paul's argument, okay? This is what Paul had just said in 1 Corinthians 15. You know, look, if it doesn't happen, if this isn't real, the problem is even Christians don't realize how important the resurrection is. It is the crucial event. If, it, if you lose this, none of the rest of it matters. But if the resurrection of Jesus actually happened, this event changes everything. This event forever changes the world. This event forever changes history. This event forever changes your life if the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. So how would we know? 
We weren't there, we have to figure this out. How would we know? Well, we have to go back and listen to the people who said that they saw the resurrection. And so I wanna show you in John chapter 20, if you're with me, we're gonna look at verse 11. And we're gonna go back and, and look at someone named Mary who experienced the resurrected Jesus. But what you have to understand is Mary is about to go to the tomb, not knowing that anything weird has happened. She's looking for Jesus' body, his dead body. She's brought some spices and things to, to you know, prepare it for it to be buried for a long time and decomposed. And so Mary is going there and something weird it's gonna happen. This is what it says in John chapter 20, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. So there's not a body there, there's these two angels sitting there, one at the head and the other at the foot. And you might think this is a, an amazing thing. Notice how normal their conversation is. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Well, they've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Such a normal exchange. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. This is great. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? And then maybe one of my favorite questions Jesus ever asked a person, who is it you're looking for? If you don't think Jesus has a sense of humor, like I, I can't imagine he could say that with a straight face. Like, like he's in there, he, the tomb is empty, she's all distraught and confused, and he's like, excuse me, who are you looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I'll get him. She's right back to the body. Look, did you take the body? These two guys don't know where the body went. Do you know where the body is? Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go and said to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now, I don't know what your response to that story is. Let me tell you the question that is glaring to me as I read it. Why did Mary think Jesus was the gardener? Anyone else have this, this question like, what's up with the gardener detail? What, what's going on with that? Now, here's the reality. This is somebody she knew. Mary knew what Jesus looked like. It wasn't the first time she met him. She knew what Jesus' voice sounded like. She had spent years with Jesus. And I don't think Jesus is like holding a shovel I don't think he's covered in dirt. I don't think he's holding some flowers that he's about to plant. Why on earth does she think he's the gardener? Here's my answer. Because dead people don't come back to life. Right? She's not expecting Jesus to be talking to her. And so she's looking around. She's trying to figure out what's going on. I don't want you to think about all the things that Mary doesn't notice in this scene. She doesn't notice that the two people sitting on the stone are angels. Now, how do you know that? Because she never goes, whoa, are you guys angels? This is awesome. She goes, hey, where did you take the body? It's like such a normal, hey, did you guys move it? Like, where did you move it to? I just, I'm looking for the body. No point does she go, wait a minute, you guys look like angels. She, she misses it. She misses the fact that the body she's looking for is standing right next to her. 
She misses it. She doesn't see Jesus. Looks right at him, has a conversation with him, has no idea who she's talking to. How does she miss all those things? Because Mary is witnessing the single greatest event in the history of the universe. And her brain is struggling to keep up. Her brain is trying to process what she's seeing because it is so beyond explanation that her brain's going, oh, it can't be this. No, 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 let's figure this out. Somebody must have moved the body. Yep, that sounds good. He must be the gardener. Yep, that sounds good. And so her brain is going, let's make some explanation for this because there's no way it can be what it looks like. And the reality is some of you know exactly what Mary feels like because God has been infiltrating your life. God has been breaking through your defenses. God has been revealing himself to you in profound ways. And instead of you going, wow, that looks like God, your brain is trying to explain it away. That must be a coincidence. That must just be random, weird timing. That must be, that must be. And you know exactly what it feels like to be confronted with the living God, and yet you don't know what that could mean. And so you begin to explain things. They must have moved the body. That must have been the gardener. See, this is the journey that many of us have when it comes to the resurrection. Because this single great event is so unbelievable that our our brains, our bodies are going, can it actually be true? And yet there were a number of people like Mary that said, yeah, I've met him. I've seen him. I have seen the Lord. And that's why when Paul makes this argument about the resurrection, this is how much is riding on the resurrection. He makes it a very personal argument. Let me show you what he says in verse 15. He says, more than that, we, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. Paul's going, this is not something that we read in a book. We didn't tell you about the resurrection because we read about it. We saw it. Mary saw it. A number of people saw the resurrection in front of them. They, they saw Jesus. And Paul is adding himself to this, going, look, if you're gonna say the resurrection isn't true, you have to say that all of us are lying about what we saw because we have seen it. Now, Paul, if you know his story, Paul wasn't one of the original disciples. He wasn't around on this scene uh, when, when on the resurrection happened. See, Paul was previously a guy named Saul. And if you're confused about Saul, there's two Sauls in the Bible. One is a king in the Old Testament, different guy. This is Saul in the New Testament. Saul's job was to kill Christians. It was his hobby. It was his line of work. He would travel from place to place, finding Christians who were hiding, who were scared, and eradicating them. He thought, I will single-handedly bring down Christianity, this new religion that had just formed after Jesus had died. And Paul goes, all these guys are following this dead guy, and I'm going to stamp this out. Only one problem is that Saul met Jesus, who wasn't dead anymore, on the road. And when he meets Jesus, he's like, "Uh, this complicates things. Because Jesus asks him a simple question. Hey, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Uh, Well, I I thought you were dead, and this whole thing was a lie, and these people were just making it up. But if you're real and you're talking to me, then that kind of changes the story. And so Saul, the, the Christian killer, becomes Paul, the apostle who writes most of the New Testament because he met the resurrected Jesus. 
So Paul says, if you're gonna dismiss this, if you're gonna say this whole thing's a rumor, you have to also say that we are all lying. Because the reason you and I are here today, because a bunch of people witnessed an event that changed history forever, and they told people. And because they told people, and because people believed them, we are here today to tell the same story that they told all those years ago. The author C.S. Lewis said it like this. The first fact in the history of Christianity is a number of people who say they have seen the resurrection. If they had died without making anyone else believe this gospel, no gospels would ever have been written. You see, the reason why you go, well, yeah, you guys are just reading a book and trying to you know, believe something from a book. Well, it starts because they kept telling a story over and over again, and these people had seen it. And if they had not seen the resurrected Jesus, and they had not had others believe them, there would be no gospels. There would be no the Bible for us to even read if this story hadn't triggered all of it. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, well, I've seen how this whole Christianity thing works. I've seen how people use the church for their own gain. I'm sure that these early disciples, they thought there was something in it for them. That's why they told this story. Well, if you think that, um, your, your understanding of history is a little bit off. Because at this point in history, there was no gain to be had to say that you're a Christian. At this point in history, Rome was in charge of the world. Rome was the dominant power. And the only lord around was a guy named Caesar. And it was expected that you would bend the knee to Caesar and to no other person except for this group of people that had seen a dead guy come back to life. And they said, um, we're gonna call him Lord instead. And you can imagine that Caesar didn't like this very much. No, 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 Caesar's Lord. And they said, yeah, well, here's the problem. We have seen the resurrected Jesus. And so we can't call Caesar Lord anymore because we have seen Jesus. And most of these believers would go to their death for this story. Because they knew once you have seen the resurrection, once you have come face to face with it, once you realize this is reality, there's some questions that it demands from us. There is a response needed from us. Will Williman says it like this. How then should we live now in light of the shock that God has raised, crucified Jesus from the dead? Now, what do we do now? We've got the shock of this. Our brain is going, wait, can this really be true? But now we go, what is our response to this? And you may be going, well, I'm not gonna choose a response. That's a response that all of us respond in some way to the shock that God has raised, crucified Jesus from the dead. What will we do with a story like this? There's a number of witnesses that wrote it down, that told to others and said, you know what, we have seen something and we're never going back. Let me show you one witness in particular. It's a guy named James, and if you read throughout the New Testament, there's a number of followers of Jesus named James, so you might be confused, but there's a book of James that we have in the New Testament written by the James that I'm referencing in particular, and here's how he begins uh, this letter. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. If you've ever read this in the, in the New Testament, if you've ever read the book of James, you know, a very normal way to begin a letter. Here's who I am, here's who I'm writing to, greetings, good, good to see you. Doesn't sound that remarkable, except what you may not know is that this James happens to be the half-brother of Jesus. Now, how is he the half-brother? He's got the same mom, different dad. If you're confused on the dad part, that's the Christmas story, right? Jesus, he has a separate dad, okay? But this is now the Easter story. So James has Mary, it's his mom. Joseph is his dad. And Jesus 
is his older brother. And it's this Jesus that he says, I am a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, which begs the obvious question. What would your sibling have to do to convince you they are God? <laughs> Anyone else with me on this question? Here's the reality, I have a sister, I love her, I would sacrifice for her. Never once have I thought she is God though, never once. It's never crossed my mind, I've never had to wrestle through that. What on earth happened that James looks at his older brother and goes, you are God. I imagine James is like, man, when I was in third grade, I hated him. He was, dude, everything right, I could never blame anything on him. I could never live up to Jesus, you know, following his footsteps all the time. So what changed? How do you get to, to the place where you can say of your own brother, you are God? You know what I suspect? Uh, maybe like the resurrection. Imagine James meeting Jesus alive again, going, I watched them kill you. I watched you die. I, I saw your body laying in the tomb and now I am talking to you. You really are God. This whole thing really is real. And so James becomes one of Jesus' most ardent supporters of his own brother because he saw it for himself. Oh, what's in it for James? You know, he, he probably got something. No, James would be killed for this, for the story that he told about his brother. Tradition tells us that they took James to the pinnacle of the temple and then they threw him off it to kill him. But the fall itself didn't kill him. So then they got a bunch of stones and, and they gathered around his body and they began to throw stones at it, but that didn't kill him either. So finally someone took a club and went to him and bashed his head in, all because James told a story that his brother was still alive. What would your sibling have to do to convince you they are God? James believed this was reality. Mary believed this was reality. Paul believed this was reality, which is why in verse 20 he says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. This is the truth. I have seen it. Mary has seen it. James has seen it. We are telling you what we have experienced and we know that this one moment changes everything. The church begins on Easter morning when a bunch of people sit around and talk about their experiences with the resurrected Jesus. They had seen him, they had talked to him, and this begins the movement that we know as the church, which is why we are here today. Because if this really happened, how does this not alter everything we have ever thought before this point? As Andy Stanley says it, if someone predicts their own death and resurrection and pulls it off, we should go along with whatever that person says. <laughs> Amen. Look, Jesus, you said you were gonna die. You said three days later you'd come back to life. You did it. All right, I'm in. What else do you want me to do? I mean, like, what else could there be if someone can do this? And that's the story of Easter. These people are saying, look, we have seen it. And we're telling you what we have seen. The entire world hinges on whether or not the resurrection actually happened. And if the resurrection actually happened, there is now hope for your disappointments. Those things that you brought in here with you today that you go, life has not gone the way I planned it. Life has not turned out the way that I, I thought it should. This has just not been fair. And, and in the midst of those disappointments, the hope begins to emerge if the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. 
If the resurrection of Jesus actually happened, there is hope for the pain in your life. It could be the physical pain, the mental pain, the emotional pain, but that pain doesn't have to be meaningless if the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. If the resurrection of Jesus actually happened, there is hope for your marriage. Some of you gave up hope on that a long time ago. But the reality is if the resurrection happened, there are no stories beyond repair, beyond redemption, if Jesus is alive. There is hope for your kids. That story may have played out in all kinds of ways that you didn't predict, that broke your heart, but there's no lost or broken relationship that cannot be mended if Jesus is still alive. If the resurrection of Jesus actually happened, you have hope for your future. You may have never thought there was any hope left, but it all hinges on this one moment. And so let me just speak to two groups of people here today. Group number one, if you're here today, and you're going, look, I, I've been on the outside of this story. I wouldn't call myself a Christian. I'm not the church going type. I'm not sure what I think about Jesus. Here's the opportunity you have in front of you. You can decide that this moment really happened, the resurrection really happened, and that if it really happened, you can say, you know what, I think all of history hinges on this one moment. If this is happening uh, and this is real, then everything else is different. And you can decide to align your life with that. As the writers of the New Testament tell us, that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to us. That is available to you right now. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, what kind of story you have. It doesn't matter that you may think, God wants nothing to do with me. The reality is, the resurrection power is available to you today, in this very moment. You don't have to live apart from this event anymore once you realize this event changes everything. It reminds me of somebody I saw the other day. My wife and I were flying back and uh, we were flying through the, the uh, Portland Terminal uh, or airport and, and if you've been there, there's a number of moving sidewalks. And so we're on one of these moving sidewalks and I'm not thinking much about it. We're just kind of moving forward. And at the end of our sidewalk, toward the end, I, I see this guy, he's an airport worker and he's facing the opposite way and he's trying to clean a scuff mark off of the wall of the moving sidewalk. But it's moving. So he's, he's positioned the opposite way, he's cleaning it, and then he's, you know, he's moving down the way, and then he walks back over, and he's cleaning it again, and then he moves it, and he keeps, and he just keeps doing this. And so as we walk by him, I say to Michelle, I said, wow, that's a simple job that looks really hard. I mean, if like I was this guy, I'd be dizzy, I'd be nauseous, I'd probably have vertigo at the end of my shift. Like I can't imagine doing an entire you know, day of this, trying to do something so simple, but everything is moving around you. You know what, that's a great metaphor for the way some of you feel about your life. And I'm not trying to do something crazy, I'm just trying to, to live life. I'm just trying to experience life the way other people are experiencing it. Why is it so hard for me? Why does it feel like everything's moving for me? And you might wonder, what's going on with that? And as I thought about this guy, I thought about this. What if there was some button that I could hit that would stop the sidewalk? Like imagine if I could all of a sudden see this guy and just go, hit the button, and you know, he's over there, and he's used to it moving, and it stops, and he looks around, and he goes, oh. And all of a sudden, he's like frantically cleaning it, and he could get it done. The job would be over, and then it would just be easy. Right? Like, what would change with that simple reality? That is the resurrection. 
everything around you begins to, to come into focus. You go, I have a new perspective. I have a new hope. I have a new purpose. And, and here's the reality. There are some versions of Christianity that will tell you, hey, if you follow Jesus, all the scuff marks in your life will go away. That's not Christianity. They're selling you something. Christianity is, you'll still have the scuff mark in front of you, but the sidewalk's not moving under your feet anymore. All of a sudden, you go, you know what? I can deal with this now. I, I have a new perspective on this. I have a new uh, you know, outlook on this because if the resurrection of Jesus actually happened, I have hope in the midst uh, of any challenge in my life. And that hope is available to each and every one of us. Now, if you're here today and you're going, well, hey, I, I've already made that decision. I've been following Jesus for a long time. What about me? Well, I'm glad you asked. I've got a question for you. Embrace yourself, because it's a doozy. Here's my question for you if you're a Christian. Do people see resurrection in your life? Now, when I ask this question, I don't mean, well, yeah, I talk about Jesus every so often, and they, they'll, they'll see it. No, no, no. In the way that you love people, do they see resurrection in your life? In the way that you sacrifice yourself for others, do they see resurrection in your life? And the way that you get along with one another, do they see resurrection in your life? Here's the reality. I know a lot of Christians, and many of them, I do not, I do not see the resurrection in their life. And this is a problem we gotta talk about. If we're going to claim that this one event is the moment that changed everything, we better let that power permeate our life. That better be seeping through us. If we're gonna say, yes, we are people of the resurrection, then others should see it if this event is true. So, do people see resurrection in your life when they look at you and they look at how you interact with others? And to all of us, I wanna close with this quote from Carlos Whitaker. Said, we hope for healing in so many areas of our lives when Jesus wants to give us something so much bigger. Complete death of our old selves, pains, relationships, and fears. He doesn't want to heal you. He wants to resurrect you. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, may we experience the power of the resurrection. As we wrestle with whether this is one of many rumors or whether this is reality, may we listen to the voices of those who saw you, who talked to you, who experienced you and knew that you were not dead. And that because you were not dead, that these things that you did and these things that you said they change history forever, that all of life hinges on this one moment and our response to it matters immensely. And so Jesus, I pray today for anyone at any of our campuses, wherever they are watching this, that has never known you, has never experienced your goodness, that they would see why we call this good news, why we refer to this and we know that once we have seen you, we can never go back. Once we have, have seen how good this is, may they know you in that way. And if you have been breaking through in supernatural ways and they just have never put it together, they've never seen it, would you help them make sense of what they see? Help them make sense of the reality that you are alive and you are at work in each of our lives today. God, for those of us that are trying to follow you, may we live consistently to this message. May the resurrection power just so naturally come out of us and others could see it in the way that we love, in the way that we sacrifice, in the way that we look like Jesus to those around us. And may you change communities. 
May you change cities. May you change cultures. May you help hurting people find hope because of people like us who have experienced the power of the resurrection. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.